this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Then we'll begin. We're going to be in uh, Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 15. As you turn in your Bibles, I want you to be asking yourself the question, why do we study our Bible? Why do we engage the Word of God? For what purpose and what are we seeking? As you turn in your Bibles and you engage God's Word, why are you engaging it? I want to give you three reasons I think are the primary purposes for which people study God's Word. First is knowledge, second is relationships, and third is answers. We come to God's Word to know more, we come to God's Word to relate more to God, and we come to God's Word a lot of time looking for answers. Now, there's good and bad for each one of these, right? We can come to God's Word desiring uh, knowledge, and that can be good. We want to know more about God. We want to know how to serve God, what it looks like to serve God. We can come to God's Word wanting knowledge because we want to feed pride. We want to know more about God's Word so they can tell people more about God's Word. We can see this all throughout church and church history, people that flaunt knowing God's Word but don't know God. The bad side of this is defeating pride, but it's also ammunition. People use the Word of God not as a sword against spiritual things and against evil and as an opportunity for grace and truth into an environment, but use it as ammunition against the church or ammunition from the church into the culture. We need to understand what the Word of God is for and why we ought to know it, because we do not know the Word of God just to know God's Word. We know the Word of God to know God. You see, as a relationship, it's good. It's good to read the Word of God because we can know God and know His people. We can know how God relates to His people, what His character is like, what's His traits like, who is our God. We can know that through the Word of God, but we ultimately ought to know our God through the Word of God. The end game is not just to know the words on the page, but to know the God who wrote them. We are seeking to know our God through reading our word. Sometimes people replace God with his word, and we have to be careful that we do not do this. Finally, some people engage the word of God looking for answers. Now, this is good for truth and for wisdom because the Bible is producing truth and wisdom from it for life and for all things godly. It says we have everything we need for godliness so we can find truth and wisdom in the word of God. Paul would tell us in 1 Timothy that the intention is that it would lead us into salvation. Freedom and forgiveness in Christ Jesus can be found through the word of God, which points to Christ Jesus. But we are not asking the Bible the wrong questions. You see, some people go to the Bible and ask questions that the Bible is not intended to be asked. It's, again, a thing for truth and wisdom and for salvation. But when we go to it with the wrong questions, seeking an answer that's not to be found within because it's not the purpose of the Bible, sometimes people get frustrated. Sometimes people walk away from it thinking that it doesn't have truth. But ultimately, it's not the answers that are wrong. It's our questions. We should ask the Word of God. We should ask how to draw closer to the Lord. Who is the Lord? What is salvation? What is truth? What is wisdom? And in it, we can find these truths. And know more of who God is. And hopefully, in the process, draw closer to Him. In these two churches we're about to face in Acts chapter 17, we're going to see one group of people who have an open Bible, they're studying Scripture, but they have closed minds. The next group of people, we're going to see an open Bible and open minds, people who are willing to search the Bible. I pray that we would be a people who engage God's Word to know our God. 
Engage God's word curious to know more about truth and wisdom and how we ought to live our lives, not thinking that we can make our best decisions by ourselves, but seeking out what the creator of the universe would call us to do. If he created us, surely he knows what is best for us. May we seek out this truth in God's word. We're going to look at Acts chapter 17, 1 through 15. Verse 1 says, After they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on, th- uh, on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So he's there three weeks doing what he always does. He goes first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. So this is typical of Paul. Verse 3, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. It says in verse 4, Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. And man, if you stop right there, remember this from last week. Last week we saw Paul basically give us the perfect demonstration of what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of God. We are bound together by grace through faith. Not male or female, not Greek or Jew, not slave or free. We are bound together by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We become the church of God. It is not based on what we look like. It's not based on the language we speak. It's based on the faith that we proclaim in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And not only does He say it, but He lives it. And so look at that in verse uh, verse 4. Some of them, so that's Jews, and then it says, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks, so we have Jew and Greek, and then it says, as well as a large number of leading women. So we have breaking down every cultural barrier right here, accepting into the kingdom of God all peoples. And y'all, that was not typical pattern of their day. Whether you were Roman or Jew, you'd kick out the other party. It was not common practice, even in their culture, to allow women to worship God in, the, in that kind of place, even in uh, cultural norms, even in the gods of the city. There were restrictions upon uh, the different genders and who could worship the Lord, and, or at least their gods. Paul breaks down all of those barriers going completely countercultural to allow the kingdom of God to be full of all people from all nations in one group. So verse 5, again, obviously this frustrates the Jews, right? But the Jews became jealous, and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out of the public assembly. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And Jason has welcomed them. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees and saying that there is another king, Jesus. The crowd and city officials who heard these things were upset. And after taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. Typical pattern, right? God's working through the Christians and drawing people near to him. And here comes another group that's simply jealous from what is taking place. Now, you would expect this group, these group of uh, uh, people, specifically the Jews in Thessalonica, you would expect them to be pretty amped up about what's going on. You don't expect them to go to the city and say, hey, these guys over here, they're worshiping God and not worshiping Caesar. That's so against everything they believed. Like, they worshiped the God of the universe, and so did these Christians, believing that Jesus Christ fulfilled everything that he had promised. And now here you have Jews coming to the magistrates, the leaders of the city, and saying, hey, they're worshiping somebody other than Caesar, which was a huge issue. 
Because in Thessalonica, everyone was expected to stand in front of the city officials and declare that Caesar was Lord. They had a decree that they would share together. They would, they would be excited about it. And you can imagine why. I mean, who wouldn't be pumped up about the fact that Rome was protecting you? Rome was safety and security financially and physically. Rome was the greatest nation to be a part of at that time because it meant that you were protected by the greatest and strongest empire. It's what everybody wanted to be a part of. And so to have Roman citizenship was a significant deal. It meant justice for you because if somebody else accused you, you had to go in front of a Roman court, which was built on the justice system. They tried to be a just system. And because of that, the people would stand in front of them and be like, man, yeah, I'm part of this crew. I'm, I'm safe and I'm secure financially and physically. But to declare that Jesus is Lord, man, that's to abandon all that safety and security and say, no, my safety and security is found in Jesus Christ. My joy, my peace, my hope, my faith is going to be found in someone other than Caesar. At this time, Tiberius Claudius was Caesar from 41 AD to 54 AD. This was about 49 to 50 AD. He was in Thessalonica in 49, and he was in Berea, which we're going to see in a second, in 50 AD. During this time, Tiberius Claudius was conquering different empires. In fact, he conquered what was then known as Britain. It was a huge area and expanse at that time. So as he's going and conquering, people are excited to be a part of it. The Jews say, man, they are worshiping somebody other than Caesar. And church, we stand as brothers and sisters to declare that there is no Lord in this world other than Jesus Christ. We believe in him. He is our king. He is our God. Even when the world is against us, even the world, when the world doesn't like us, even the world, when the world disagrees with us, we stand firm because we have a God who is a God of love and grace and truth and mercy and peace and joy. And I would rather stand in that love and that joy and that peace and that grace and that forgiveness and that freedom than the things that the world has to offer me. Because the Roman Empire will fall and every empire will fall and every king will fall. But the only one who has endured is Jesus Christ and him alone. How can a movement come from a dead man dying if he didn't raise from the dead? But because because he raised from the dead, he raised the powerful son of God, as Romans chapter 1 would tell us. And as he raised the powerful son of God, he established not millions, not billions of people, but just a few. Paul and a few followers to go out and declare the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ for the spirit to work in all the nations. And God can work not through the masses, but through a few. And if my God can overcome death and overcome the masses and overcome the Roman Empire, then whom shall stand against him? Come on, church. Like, this is our king. This is our Lord. And when they say, yeah, that they're saying another king, Jesus, other than Caesar, I'm like, yeah, we are. So put us in front of the court. Put us in front of the city, and we'll say the same thing. Because I want to be a church. This is like verse 6. It says, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Man, church, I want to turn the world upside down. Because when I look at the world, I don't see something that looks good. I see something that struggles. I see something that's hurting. And I think I know the answer. And his name is Jesus. So they release Paul and Silas and Timothy, most likely. And they take Jason and keep him in some sort of uh, uh, house arrest to some extent going to bring him back up later. I think in Romans 16, this is probably referring to this Jason from Berea. Paul's writing back to encourage him to stand firm, which is good, right? Because it's encouraging to know that Jason probably stood firm. Even though he was being thrown into the court, he didn't, he didn't back down from his faith. 
So verse 10, as soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Consequently, many of them believed, including a number of the prominent Greek women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there too, of course, agitating and upsetting the crowds. Then the brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul away to go to the coast, which is a bit interesting, right? Because typically it's like, okay, Paul, just go get thrown in jail again, right? Like he just constantly does this. But I think what we see is this, seek wisdom. Seek what Father has for you. Sometimes it's to be thrown in jail. Sometimes it's to go to the coast. Sometimes it's to escape the persecution. Sometimes it's to endure. No matter what, we're going to endure persecution. Paul's always constantly enduring persecution. He tells us that we are too. First Peter tells it to us too. We're going to endure these things. But sometimes God's got a plan for us to escape out of it, to go proclaim the gospel elsewhere. Of course, Paul leaves Timothy and Silas there, which is kind of ironic. He does that often. But anyways... <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes think it's because Timothy's so young. You know, it's like, all right, you young guys stay there and uh, build the church up. But anyways, I don't know that for true. Uh, anyway, so uh, verse 14. Then the brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul away to go to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed on there. Those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving instruction for Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed. Many of you in this church are, are new to our church, um, especially in the 930 service. You may have been here before. This may be your first time here. You may, some of you may have come in the past year or during COVID or whatever it may look like. I want you to, under, you know, three years ago, we were establishing this, you know, kind of what we're doing here in our mission and vision. Sometimes we talk about that often. You may have never heard this before. And I, so I want to bring you back to this text and I want to share you, show you some things that are happening here. I want to challenge you first by not getting comfortable in your seats. Because at Westminster Baptist Church, we're not going to measure effectiveness by seating capacity, but by sending capacity. You'll often hear in every single sermon afterwards, I'm going to tell you this phrase. Remember, you are sent into the midst of darkness to light it up. Because I believe that our church is not going to be measured by how many people are sitting in our seats, but by how many people are going into the midst of darkness to light it up. I talked to one of our young adults this week. She, she went into an area that is really dark in our community, in Westminster. As she was in there, she said, she, she told me, she said, man, I, I went in the midst of darkness, Matt, and I thought in my head, man, that, that, that's stuck. I hope that we have a culture where we're sending people in the midst of darkness to light it up because we're going to be a church. It's not about seating capacity. If you're here and you haven't been here for a long time, we're not going to build buildings. We're not going to build a bigger building. We're going to put more seats in here. Why? Because we believe that it's not about how many people we can sit in this room, but how we can build the kingdom of God. I don't want to magnify my voice. In fact, I don't want you to get comfortable with my voice. I don't want you to get comfortable with Pastor Glenn's or Pastor Bill's voice. I don't want you to even like our voices per se. I want you to get comfortable with the voice of your chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. In John 10, it tells us that the sheep know the voice of the chief shepherd. We ought to know the voice of Jesus, and I simply ought to be a megaphone. And if one day it comes to the fact that you need to go to another place to establish, and we need to send you out to a place to establish God's kingdom, the kingdom of God on earth expressed into a local church, and you're going to serve there and bring your gifts there, and my voice won't be heard, at least I know that Jesus Christ's voice will still be heard. May I just be a megaphone. May Pastor Glenn and Pastor Bill be megaphones for the voice of Jesus Christ in this place because we're not building a kingdom. We're building the kingdom of God. 
This isn't about me. This isn't about Bill. This isn't about Glenn. And the way we do that is we don't focus on our seating capacity, but we focus on our sending capacity. There are, brothers and sisters in this room, you are, as the children of God, given gifts, given grace, freedom, and forgiveness, not to sit, but to go. Not to soak, but to be sent. We're not a cruise liner. We're a battleship. So church, let's measure our sending capacity, not our seating capacity. I want you to see this in the text. It says, uh, verse 6, When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Y'all, we're talking a few people. I'm talking Paul, Timothy, Silas, Mark, Barnabas, and Luke, and maybe some other people that have followed with him have been traveling around. They have not gone to Ephesus, Rome, Corinth, probably Athens. Those were the leading cities at the time. They were the largest cities. They were the smart, the academic cities. They were the influencing cities. These were the cities that were going to make a difference in Rome. For them to be able to say that they turned the world upside down means that they made such an influence in the cities that they were in that their influence spread throughout the cities to say, hey, man, Paul's coming, and something there is making a difference. And I'll tell you what that something is. The power of the Spirit working in him and the gospel that he preached. So if we're going to make a difference, if we're going to change the world, if we're going to be world changers, it's not going to be because of our strength. It's not going to be because of Pastor Glenn or myself or Pastor Bill. It's going to be because of the work of God through his gospel and through his spirit alone. If we're going to be world changers, if we're going to turn the world upside down, it's going to be, going to, going to be because of the gospel that we preach, not the words that we say. The second thing is, let's establish allegiance. Allegiance to Jesus Christ and Him alone. Man, I, I pray that our church would be a church that would stand in front of the multitudes and declare that we believe in Jesus Christ, no matter what it takes, no matter what it offers, no matter what we have to endure, that we would declare that Jesus Christ is the Lord above all, above all worldly influences, above all worldly powers, that we would declare that Jesus Christ is our Lord. He is our King. He is worthy to be praised. And man, look, if we're curious, if we're asking questions, if we are a people of noble character like the Bereans and we seek out the word of God and we find it to be true, and if this word of God truly says that Jesus Christ gave up his life on the cross, died, was raised from the dead so that you might have life, it should change everything. If that's not true, man, let's go join a country club and hang out. But if that's true, this is more than a country club. It's a battleship. It's a bunch of people getting prepared to go out for battle. Not with flesh and blood, but with spiritual things. So brothers and sisters, I believe that we ought to seek out God's word. And when we do, if we find truth and declare Jesus Christ is our Lord, we're going to change the world. You may be sitting here like, man, Matt, um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how we could change the world with 300 people. God used one. Paul was on a road to Damascus to go persecute people. He changed his life. He changed Timothy and Silas. He wrote two letters back to Timothy. Like, movement of God was started because one man was changed for the glory of God. If we have 300 people, imagine how much more we can do. Millions upon millions upon billions have been transformed by the word of God because of the words that Paul wrote down from God. It's a transformation. It's a movement that was started because just a few people were faithful. I'm not calling all people in the world to be the ones who go out and lead. I'm just asking you there be a few.
You know, most statistics say that just 10% of churches would be about sending capacity rather than seating capacity. It would change the world forever. Just 10%. But the church for a long time has been focused on how many people can we fit in a seat. Brothers and sisters, man, I would be pumped if we took 100 people and planted them somewhere else with another pastor. And for the glory of God, if that expanded the kingdom of God and it built up the kingdom of God and the voice that was heard was the voice of the chief shepherd, not my voice and not their voice. If the kingdom of God was built up, wouldn't that bring glory to God? Not because we have more people sitting in our seats, but because the kingdom of God is growing. Over the next few months and the next year, we're going to be continuing to invest in young, in young leaders, to invest in you, to invest in others, to invest in people who would build the kingdom of God, not just Westminster Baptist Church. You see, I want to change the world because I don't like what, I, what it looks like. I don't like the evil that I see. And all different types of people and all different organizations think they have the answer. I believe we have the answer, church. I believe we had the answer for a long time, but sometimes we get in the way of ourselves. Have you ever, um, have you ever had anybody over to your house? Man, our church has got to get better at inviting people over to their house. I'm telling you, this is crazy. Every single group has been the same way. I'm like, dude, I know it's COVID, but like, hey, post that. Let's have some people over. So I like having people over to our house. It's one of the reasons we bought our particular house. Uh, we like having people into our home. Um, uh, we like being with people. In fact, my grandfather is here today from Texas, from Marshall, Texas, all the way from Marshall, Texas, right there. Going to be 80 years in March. It's amazing. So glad to have him here, too. My mom as well. So uh, we love having company come over. But I spent about six hours yesterday trying to clean up leaves. Y'all with me on this leaf problem? <laughs> Our yard is 20 feet. I mean, it is not a big yard, but we got about 100 trees over that thing, and it dumps leaves all over that thing. I had about a foot deep of leaves in this, and all covering our ground. It was ridiculous. I spent about six hours trying to clean this thing up and get it ready. Why? Because company was coming over. <laughs> and look, man, we want things to look good. We want it to look clean. We want it to be hospitable. We want people to come in. My wife does a phenomenal job at welcoming people in. Like it just, we, we want things to look right when people come over, right? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm also kind of like my dog. I hope you're not like my dog, but I'm kind of like my dog. His name's Bodacious. He was named after a barbecue joint. Yes, I love barbecue that much. And uh, we, we go short for, uh, we call him Bo, uh, but Bodacious Barbecue is where my grandfather lives, actually, in Marshall, Texas. You need to order spices from there because it's phenomenal. Uh, but anyways, Bodacious, my dog, will stand at the window and just look outside and wait for somebody to get there. I'll be like, hey, mama's about at home. He, for the next five, ten minutes, he just stands at the window and looks. I'm the same way. If I know somebody's coming over, my wife and I are both the same way. It's kind of funny. Like, if you ever pull up or come over to our house, you might see us, like, peeking out the window looking for you. We're just excited. Like, we want somebody to come over, right? You know what I'm talking about? I just get amped up when people come over to hang out, right? Uh, anyways, so we want things to be ready. We anticipate the return. And y'all, man, I hope that you anticipate the return of Jesus Christ. He is coming back for his people. And when he does, he's going to see this world and he's going to see if we've made an impact. He's going to see if the kingdom of God has been brought to earth, that life, justice, peace, hope, grace has been brought into this earth in the name of the kingdom of God, Christ alone, who is our Lord, that we've made a difference. And why have we made a difference? Because we pray it every day. Jesus taught us to pray it. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Part of our responsibility as leaders and as pastors is to equip the to 
the saints to do the work of the ministry to establish God's kingdom on earth, that when God comes back to see his earth, he goes, well done, good and faithful servant. You did something with what you had. We have freedom. We have forgiveness. We have grace. We have the gift of God to do what he's called us to do. May we not sit. May we not found, be found at our homes, standing there like with everything messed up, everything thrown to pieces, not waiting for someone to come there, but may instead we be ready for the return of our king. May he come back and see that we've made a difference. May he see that we are not concerned with building our kingdom, but building his kingdom. Not building our voice, but building up his voice. Not making us famous, but making him famous. You see, if you want to make Jesus famous, you're going to have to talk about Jesus, not about you. Just real practical. We've got to talk about Jesus and not about the things we accomplish. We've got to talk about Jesus and not about the things that are going on in this world. Because if we want to make things famous in this world, we can talk about it a lot. But if we want to make Jesus famous, we've got to talk about him. Church, we're going to talk about Jesus or we're going to talk about ourselves. If you want to make Jesus famous and not ourselves, we're going to have to act like Jesus. See, I think one of the greatest ways that we as the church can embody Jesus Christ is having his attitude. Uh, Philippians 2 would tell us to have attitude of Jesus Christ. May we have the same mind and attitude just together. I mean, the world should see the church and be like, you guys are weird. Like, you, you, you look different, you, you, you talk different, you have different language, like, everybody's different in the church. I mean, where else do you go in the community where you have people who are, like, one years old and a hundred years old? You know what I'm talking about? Where else in the community do you have young adults who are hanging out and 30 and 40-year-olds you are hanging out? Usually they, like, hate each other at that point because, like, moms and dads and their kids are, like, frustrated at each other. You know what I'm talking about? We should come into the church and people will be like, you guys are really weird. <laughs> Because you have the same attitude. You all look different. You all different ages. You come from different places. You may have a different language. But you, always, you all have the same grace. You all have the same hope. You all have the same love. You all have the same truth. I mean, you got an attitude that is similar. What's going on with the church? So we've been captivated by a new Savior, captivated by a new King, and His name is Jesus Christ. If we're going to build the kingdom and not our own kingdom, we've got to invest in others and share responsibility. It's not the sage on the stage. It's a guide on the side that is working with you guys to invest in you. Look, when I was a kid, and my mom being here, look, she prayed for me in this, but when I was a kid, I did not want to be a pastor. I'm not sure how much we've talked about this, but she's prayed for me often. She prayed for me when I was young. But I didn't want to be a pastor. I saw my dad. I saw how my friends treated my dad. I saw different things. And I said, man, man, I don't, I don't want to be, like, I don't want to be a pastor. Like, that's the farthest thing from what I want, want to be. If somebody tells you that pastors are supposed to be those people that when they see things in the world, they're like, man, I couldn't do anything else but pastor. I mean, I, I think that that's a total, that's got to be a total lie. Y'all, I'm flesh. I have temptations too. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to be an architect. You, you could ask my mom. That's what I wanted to do. My flesh still wants to do that. Like I, I still have that desire. It's fleshly. Because you know what? It's not my flesh that became a pastor. It's my God who called me. My God who equipped me. My God who raised me up. Despite my fleshly desires and despite what I want. And so let me tell you something, church. You may be sitting there and you're like, Matt. Man, I, I, I want to do these things. Like, I'm stuck with this. Like, this worldly thing I really enjoy. I don't want to give this up. Like, I feel like I need to be doing this, and I like doing this. Let me tell you something. Put it before the Lord and ask Him this. What has He called you to do? 
Because church, it wasn't me that called me into ministry. It wasn't me that called me to be a pastor. It was the Lord. And if it wasn't the Lord, I guarantee you I wouldn't be in ministry because it's his strength that sustains me. And so let me turn that back to you. Sitting in these seats, ministers of God, Ephesians 4 tells us as pastors to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. You guys are the saints who are doing the work of the ministry. For a long time, the church has called people in, in, in pastors and on staff ministers. And I'm like, you guys have missed this. The church is the ministers. We are administering the gospel and the grace of God to the world, going in the midst of darkness and lighting it up. Y'all are the ones. We've been called to equip you, to send you, to encourage you, to love you, to build you up, leadership development, and send you out, not to hoard you here, not to claim you in our seats, not to fill up a budget, but to go. Look, if the Lord takes a hundred of you, I know our budget's going to go down. I know we're going to need to build up leaders, but praise God, the kingdom of God will be built. Amen? This isn't about building my kingdom. It's not about building Glenn's kingdom. It's not about building Bill's kingdom. And this surely ain't about building up Westminster Baptist Church. This is about building the kingdom of God, and we've got to invest in others. And brothers and sisters, you are the saints. You are the ministers. You are the ones who do the work. You are the ones who God has called to equip, to gift, to give grace to, and to go. May the Lord send you. May the Lord take you. May the Lord use you in this world. You are fighters. You are warriors. You're saints. So church, let's build up the kingdom of God and not ourselves. Let's make Jesus famous and not us. If just 10% of churches were in the business of sending capacity rather than seeding capacity, it would change the world. Let's lead. Let's lead by example. I can promise you this. I can guarantee you this. I've talked to Pastor Glenn and Pastor Bill about this often. We don't want to build a church that's massive and growing and has tons of people and has to build a big building. We simply want to build the kingdom of God. The challenge for you is this. That means we are going to constantly challenge you. We're going to constantly prepare you and train you and equip you to go. That's why I say don't get comfortable in these seats. Because in God's grace, we're going to launch you out of them. Plant you somewhere else. Maybe in different seats. In God's grace, you're going to hear somebody else's voice, not mine. And you're going to go plant the kingdom of God in another area in Carroll County. And be used for the glory of God. I am not your chief shepherd. Jesus is. And I am building his kingdom. Would you join me? Saints, warriors, fighters. Let's build the kingdom of God and not ourselves. As the worship team comes forward, I want to give you a, re- a quick recap of Acts. A dead man came to life named Jesus Christ, who raised from the dead and cl- declared that the disciples will go and make disciples. A blind man saw, a paralyzed man walked, the earth shook and opened up the, the, uh, the jail. Nations heard in one language when it was spoke, and many different languages heard it in one and could understand, and because of it, thousands came to faith. And over time, thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people came to faith in Jesus Christ, and churches were planted all over in all different cities. By the glory of God, churches were planted that flourished and grew, and Paul writes back to him and says, continue to grow and be careful and purify yourselves. Churches were planted 
Look at the growth that happens. Look at all these things that take place because one man was transformed by the grace of God. We have 300 people in this church, about 500 that declare that this is their church. What could God do with just a few of you? What if just 10% of you said, man, God, send me. Whether to the nations or to Carroll County or to plant a church locally or whatever it looks like. What if God sent you? What if just 10% stood up and said, I'll go? You know, I want you to, I'm going to close with this. Verse uh, 14. It says, Then the brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul away to go to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed on there. Again, man, it's easy just to skip over that, right? But why did he leave Timothy and Silas there? Timothy, a young pastor, to plant the church. People came to faith. Paul doesn't stay there and continue to grow it and build it up into these masses. He goes on to Athens to preach the gospel. He leaves Timothy and Silas there and he says, hey, stay there. And then when the church is ready, when it's secure, come back and be with me. Right? May may we, we as brothers and sisters be like Paul, leading up the next Timothy and Silas's and establishing them in a church and raising them up and helping them to make it healthy and to grow and be sufficient in God's eyes and and to to build up the kingdom of God and not ourselves. May we be like Paul to extend the grace of God and the gifts of God into the young leaders and what they might do in the church to build up the kingdom of God. May we invest ourselves in others. May we raise up next generation leaders. May we be about the kingdom of God and not ourselves. May you serve in God's calling, whatever he has called you to do. Would you do what God has called you to? You see, we have an unstoppable God with an unstoppable plan and an unstoppable church. And this is what he can do. Make people all around the world say, man, they are turning the world upside down. Church, you want to turn the world upside down with me? Like, let's go. Turn the world upside down with me. Change the world because I don't like what it looks like and I don't think you would do either. No matter what you're fighting, no matter what you see, no matter what evil you have experienced, let's change it. Because the spirit is in us, the gospel is powerful and the methods work. Let's go and make disciples of all nations. So if you will join me in bowing your head, we're gonna pray. I'm gonna be available over here on the side and I would love to pray with you. I'd love to talk to you about this. But if you will, just join me in prayer. And I'm just asking this, man. If there's somebody in this room right now, you say, man, I feel like God is calling me to do something. I've been sitting and I'm ready to be sent. Whether that's into the church or outside the church, we want to raise you up, man. I just want you to give, I want to give you moments just to think about this. Is God calling you to do something you're not doing? Because we want to equip you to do it. If there's somebody in this room who you say, man, I've I've never believed in Jesus Christ. I don't even know who he is. I'd love to talk to you, but I also want to just tell you this. Jesus Christ, the Lord over all, gave his life up for you. He loves you enough that he might give up himself for you so that you'd be forgiven of all the evil and the mess in your life, that you'd have forgiveness so that you could live a different life empowered by his spirit to do what he's called you to do, to experience joy and hope and peace in a world that is so broken and full of mess. Jesus came into that so that you might have life. And if you're in this place at this moment and you say, man, I... I want to do what God's called me to do, and I believe in Jesus Christ. I just ask for you to take a moment just to pray and prepare your hearts.
There's nothing worse than a, than, a, than, a, than a church that doesn't pray and prepare. May we, over the next few months, prepare our hearts for what God might be doing in this church. May we not just be about accumulating numbers, but sending people out. And what, what is your role in that? What does it look like for you to be ready to do what God's called you to do? Whether inside this church or outside this church, would you just join me in prayer? God, what do you want us to do? Father, we ask in these moments, God, what do you want us to do? We will go where you go. Tell, tell us what to do and we will do it. God, help us to equip the saints to do what, what you've called them to do. Help us to understand the giftings that you've placed inside of us to be used for your glory and for your kingdom. May we multiply the efforts that your kingdom might be multiplied and grown. The disciples might be made. Father, would you use, use the gifting and the grace that is in our life to bring you glory. Father, we'll trust you with it all. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. I'm going to be right over here. I'd love to talk to you, man. If you want to come to know Jesus Christ or know more about him, I want to talk to you about that. If you want to submit to what God has called you to do and you need to, need to be equipped to do it, you're like, man, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know where to go. Like, help me out. That's what we're here for, man. That's what I... I want to do that for you. Come talk to me. I'm going to be right over here and we're going to worship King Jesus.
cross into eternity. Your grace finds me. Yes, your grace finds me. There in the darkest night of the storm. sent in the midst of darkness to light it up. Um, we are going to have our annual business meeting right after this in here. So if you're coming to that, you can stay right here. Two quick stories. First, I got a message this week from uh, another pastor in our community who met one of our members and the member didn't know they were a pastor and that member started praying over them. And that, uh, that uh, pastor sent me a message and said, I just want you to know your, your members are living out on mission. And so church, that's what we celebrate. Like that's, that's awesome stuff right there. The second thing is we've started multiple groups outside of this church. We don't want to just start groups inside this church. If you're in your in your uh, area, your community, uh, your neighborhood, plan a church, uh, plan a uh, group there. Uh, plan a group in in the context of where you are. We're starting 
groups outside of this church. That's what we want to do with people who are far from God. So don't feel like you have to start something here. Don't feel like you have to do something here. We want to equip you to do what God is doing out there. That's awesome, and that's something to celebrate. So thanks again for being here. Remember, you are sent in the midst of darkness to light it up. Have a great week. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us, and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.